and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I am happy to welcome a friend of long-standing, Clarence Clay Armbrister, and his wife, Denise McGregor Armbrister. Clay and I go way back to our college days at the University of Pennsylvania. Currently, Clay is the 14th president of Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Denise recently retired as the executive director of the Wells Fargo Regional Foundation and the Wells Fargo Regional Community Development Corporation. Denise and Clay, welcome to Ground Control Parenting. Thanks, Carol. Thank great to be here. How are you today? Oh, great. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so happy to have you guys here for a number of reasons. I'm really interested in talking to you guys about parenting. I mean, you guys have illustrious careers and you, I'm sure, talk about a lot of other things. But today I really want to talk about parenting. First of all, you have five amazing children and the story of how they all came together and how you worked with all of them is really inspirational. It is one of the most interesting blended family stories I have ever heard. It's filled with great lessons for, for other parents and, and great information for parents to hear. So I often use this phrase to talk about parenting goals, and that is that you want to parent the children you have, not the ones that you were or the ones that you wished for. And I think the story of all of your children really, really exemplifies that. And so I want to start from the beginning. And so that would be with, with you, Clay, because you, when you guys got married, you Denise got married, you already had had three children from a previous marriage. So can you tell me a little bit about the three children and then we'll bring in the other two? Sure, Carol. It's so good to be with you today. Um, yes, uh, I am the... Uh, father of five children now, as you mm -hmm. know, but three of them had already been a part of my life when uh, Denise and I got together. Uh, my three biological children are David, who is 37 years old, Nicole, who is 35 years old, uh, and Dennis, who is 32 years old. Uh, David, uh, who was born literally within the first year of me returning to Philadelphia as a young lawyer, uh, was born on the 4th of July at our alma mater's hospital, at the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, huh. literally at 12 noon on the 4th of July in 1983. Uh, Nicole was born in March of, uh, of 1985. And Dennis uh, was born a couple of years later, but uh, they're wonderful children. Uh, the two boys are on the autistic spectrum, so mm -hmm. they present another series of special challenges, but uh, very, very loving, loving children. Mm -hmm. And I just have to add here that when you guys married, Denise became the stepmom to three teenagers. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but I just want to take a moment that that, <laughs> that, that made for a very interesting connection. And she's still but, recovering from that. Carol. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back up and tell me a little bit about um, David. When he was born in, uh, you said 83? Yes. 83. 83. 83 yeah. The I, I have to believe that the um, diagnosis and treatment of autism was certainly not nearly as um, 
as as well developed as it is now. That, that's correct, Carol. Um, you know, when it, particularly when it's your first child, mm-hmm. and you may not be familiar with all the appropriate developmental stages, mm-hmm. but you kind of wonder: okay, are things normal? Is this normal? Not normal? Uh, and and basically, the evidence of of something being a little different was uh, David's uh, delayed speech. So uh, his mother. Uh, and, and I got him into an early intervention program, uh, which was very, very good. Those are very, very early on uh, prior to being in, in kind of pre-K, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we got him into a kindergarten program. And uh, David, in addition to being on the intellectual disability spectrum, he also was a little hyperactive. I, I will say that <laughs> maybe more so than some, some other little boys. Uh, but uh, we were very, very fortunate in that um, we had really good public school resources. And just upon him about to enter first grade, a teacher probably did two things. One of the things that she wasn't supposed to, she gave me two pieces of advice. Advice, one that she was probably not supposed to. She asked us to consider the possibility of putting him on some kind of medication for his hyperactivity. But the second thing that she did, she told us about this special class uh, at a particular mm-hmm. elementary school, an autistic support class. And again, that's what they called them at the time. And I had an opportunity to go by and see that class and witness uh, the amazing work of an incredible teacher whose name I'd like to mention. I don't know where she is, but her name was Kathy Worth. Uh, and uh, she had eight young men, eight little boys in that classroom when I got a chance to visit it before uh, David joined the class. And they were the most well-mannered. Uh, it was the most appropriately given class. And, and I said, boy, I'd love for David to be able to get into a class like this. And luckily for us, he was able to get into and he kind of prospered thereafter. Wow. Wow. That's really great. And then then came Nicole. Yes. Nicole uh, is, uh, uh, other than being uh, uh, just a very, very bright young lady, just very, very talented. Uh, She was kind of like the artiste in the family, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very spiritual in, in, in how she grew up. But, uh, you know, she was a girl uh, between these two uh, young men, and uh, she was uh, a little bit of a daddy's girl. At least I'd like to think so. She may not. <laughs> but uh, but she had a pretty, you know, other than having uh, two brothers, uh, she had a very, very uh, normal upbringing. Mm-hmm. And um, she went on to uh, high school in, in Philadelphia, the top uh, public high school, which was Central High School, uh, and then went on to uh, go to Spelman College. And uh, she graduated uh, Phi Beta Kappa Magna Cum Law. Very proud of her. Ooh. Married a Morehouse man and is now raising three of her own children. That's great. And then Dennis. Dennis. Yes. And Dennis is our, our 32 year old. Uh, and and uh, Dennis uh, presented also with uh, developmental delays. And this time around, because of David's concern, we uh, intervened a little earlier. Uh, Dennis's developmental delays a little bit more severe than, than David's. Uh, David is fairly high functioning, uh, actually. Uh, I think he's a savant in a couple of areas. He can remember almost date and places of where he met people. However, I always told David if I was ever going to be a politician, he was going to be my body guy because he could always say he met Carol Sutton on, you know, October 1975 or something like that. Dennis, on the other hand, um, um, is not verbal. He, he's not communicative verbally, uh, but uh, he's had a wonderful life and he's he's traveled with us on all of our ventures, whether vacation and things like that, and is currently living in a um 
in a in a group home right outside of Philadelphia. And, uh, and we see him from time to time when we can get to Philadelphia. You know, we're now in Charlotte and try mm-hmm. to talk to him as often as we can. But he's doing well. And uh, his mother is in Philadelphia and, and all and but three of his other siblings are there. So he gets a chance to see them as well. So he's doing quite well. Oh, that's great. So so now, Denise, I want to bring you in here because you, um, when you and Clay met, fell in love inside to marry, um, not only were you joining as a stepmother of three teenagers, mm-hmm. two of the teenagers came to live with you <laughs> from day one. <laughs> yes. And actually, it, it wasn't quite day one. Uh, <laughs> we inquired as to whether that would be a possibility. And initially, the answer was no. <laughs> and subsequently, probably within a year or so, uh, there was a change of heart and uh, Nicole and uh, David came to, to live with us full time. So David and Nicole came to live with you and Dennis stayed back with his mom. Right. And uh, but but you saw Dennis a lot. I mean, he came. Oh, oh yeah. Every weekend. other weekend. Every other weekend. weekend uh, he was with us. So you're stepmom of a 15-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> and so <laughs> how... Did that? How was that? I mean, to go from zero to uh, teenage without any of the interim part. Yeah, well, you know, and also uh, married and with teenagers. Uh, I mean, I was new to the married uh, world as well as uh, stepmom and to teenagers. Um, it, I think it went it went well. There were some ups and downs. Um, you know, just even preparing meals. And um, the amount of food that needed, because again, for teenagers, very uh, act, their appetites were were were, were very yeah. good. So we had to get a Carol. One of the things I remember forget one of the early uh, periods, particularly when everybody was out doing their thing. So the kids are in school. Denise is working full time. I'm working full time. And Denise, God bless her, like any uh, person who would be very very organized, which she is, she would plan things out like meals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And she would cook. And then, you know, when kids came home in the afternoon, we weren't there, particularly teenagers, they would come home foraging in the refrigerator. And <laughs> Denise had planned out meals and all the dinner meals would be eaten. <laughs> so, you know, they come home and eat a steak for like a snack. <laughs> was like, well, what happened? Said, oh, I, I was hungry. No, that was for dinner. If you're hungry, make a sandwich. Don't eat pork chops for, for lunch and snack. <laughs> well, you know, Clay, to your point about um, the, the the kids eating the, <laughs> the dinner for lunch, that's a really good point with respect to trying to be an organized working parent. Yes. Because you, you, you can try, you can really be organized, but your children will just sort of <laughs> divert and make a change and, and the goes up in smoke. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Best, best laid plans, as yeah. they say. Yeah. And, but organization is, was key um, because we just couldn't, with both of us working full time and, and then other activities as well and church and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you got to be on some kind of schedule. And it's interesting because recently talking with Nicole, um, she's now saying, okay, I, I think I got it now. I understand <laughs> why dinner was at this time. Everybody was to have dinner at this time. It wasn't a restaurant kind of situation <laughs> where whatever you feel like it, it's, you know, cause the dishes have to get done and homework, et cetera. 
Okay, so parents out there who are struggling with young children who are not, and older children who are not cooperating, know that at some point it'll come around. Your children, when they have children, will let you know that they'll appreciate what you did. So, so, so you are working full time, Denise Clay, and and you've got Denise, your stepmom, and then you decide, (laughs) as if that weren't enough, (laughs) that you wanted to. adopt children. You wanted to have children of your, of the two of you together and you decided to adopt and not adopt a newborn one child, but two children (laughs) who are already sort of in the world for some time. So tell, tell us all the story of, of how the next two children came into your life. Well, I'll start and then uh, I'll let Denise pick up. I had been on the board of an organization called the National Adoption Center, which was founded in Philadelphia by a wonderful woman who had uh, the the, the, uh, fortitude and the foresight to try to help hard-to-place children find families. Many of them had physical disabilities sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they were older children, and often they were sibling groups. So those are really the Mm harder-to-place children. Mm -hmm. They would find willing parents and willing families and bring these children together. So I had been on that board for a while, and when Denise and I got married, we started to talk about the idea of having our own family, but with uh, children already as teenagers, uh, we really said, well, what about the possibility of trying to engage ourselves in adopting one of these hard to place children? And, I, and initially, I think we were thinking about one. We, don't, we yeah. weren't thinking about two. Uh, and, uh, and so among the things that the Adoption Center did, it promoted uh, these children that might be available. And among the means they use is they would run like a Tuesday's column. Wednesday's child column in the local uh, black uh, paper. Anyway, make a long story short, uh, in one of the Philadelphia Tribune's editions, I just happened to pull up and I put it in my briefcase, these two children, and we had scheduled to have lunch with the executive director because even though I've been on the board, I really didn't know the process and what you had to go through to adopt children. So we convened a lunch in which we were going to be explained this process. And at the conclusion of the lunch, the executive director, again, the founder of this organization said, well, what kind of child would you be interested in? I reached into my briefcase and I pulled out this article. I said, well, there are these two children. They were brother and sister sibling group uh, in the paper at the time. They were listed as being three and five years old, the cutest little picture. And, uh, and I said, well, maybe, Something like this. And so uh, she asked, whom should I call after we finish the lunch? And I said, well, call Denise. And then I'll let Denise pick up the story from there when you got the call. Yeah. And uh, and I I will backtrack a little bit because I think initially we did think about um, I mean, I was really thinking more of a, a newborn or a younger child. And it was one. And Clay uh, found that article with the two of them in the cutest they could be in this picture. And I remember just seeing that kind of on the on the bed one day. <laughs> I came home from work and I said, and I said, okay, but they're two. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, we um, right after the lunch. By the time I got back to my office, I got a call from. Um, from the adoption center director. And she said, I found those children and uh, they're available. And I said, (laughs) okay, that that's good. And so she said, well, I think we should, I really think that you'd be good for them. And I said, oh, really? Well, okay. she, she also said, I'd interrupt, but she said, I've called the social worker and told them I found the perfect family for <laughs> them. Right. And so this is about April. April this yeah. is April of, of uh, 2001. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 2001. 2001. 
And uh, next thing you know, we're on this hyperspeed process to adopt these children because the judge at that time wanted to make sure that these children were going to be in a forever home by the beginning of the school year. They had been in foster care for about five years, unfortunately, for them. And uh, he had uh, terminated, unfortunately, the parental rights of their mother. And uh, he was going to have them place no matter what. So we had to kind of catch up and we had to do all the things that one, you have to have a home inspection, Inspection, uh, uh, write biographies and things like that. Everybody in the household has to do that. So the kids, the the three kids had to, or David and Nicole did. And uh, so uh, literally we meet the, we we are told that we have been uh, the parents selected and we meet them for the first time on August 1st, 2001. Yeah. And that date's important because literally, how many days later? Um, gosh, um, I think they were in the house by what, like the 26th? 26th of August. Wow. They were with us permanently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it was, wow. uh, it was, it was, uh, it was great and and intimidating <laughs> all at the same time. But, but because of Denise's incredible organizational skills, she was able to incorporate them into the family, uh, and uh, and uh, it was it was a great pairing because if you notice the ages and and their names at the time were Quahine and Malika, uh, Quahine subsequently changed his name to Sean, but they were literally ten years. Between our two older kids. So although there was a gap, it was a really interesting dynamic in that, uh, you know, the two boys were 10 years apart and the two girls were 10 years apart. And that worked out to be a very positive dynamic because uh, I have to say David and Nicole were really good uh, Mm -hmm. role models as older brothers and sisters. And these children who had been in foster care in Delaware got to see things they'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. So there are two things that I want to follow up on that. First of all, I love this story for so many reasons. First of all, for your guys' in enthusiasm, interest, and desire to do this. It's amazing. I also love the story of the community behind trying to get these children a forever home. The combination of this woman having lunch with you and then deciding this was going to happen. <laughs> and then the judge maintaining that it's been too far. They've been in foster care too long and mm-hmm. we're going to make this happen by the school exactly. year, understanding exactly. that it would be more traumatic for them to start another year in school in, in without, without a home. And so the fact they, they sped it up. I mean, much to your surprise, your ultimate delight, I know, but much to your surprise, but in this world where you hear of so many, um, services and institutions not being able to serve children's needs well. These these people really did rally around your children and and help them to get the perfect family. So that's very encouraging. Okay, but the the second thing I have to ask, tell me about Sean's determination to change his name. I mean, (laughs) when did that happen? Well, gosh, I guess it was a combination of... um, Yeah, we we did inquire as to his, uh, I guess, given name at birth, uh, Quahine, was there some, through the agency and through the social workers, was there some family name that was his name or given to him? And there was no uh, real explanation yeah. that uh, right. what this name was. And and he also did not particularly like it because it was, it was hard, of, it yeah, was because so, it was spelled, and some people would call it Quiggin. So he, did, he wasn't particularly fond of it. 
And uh, so we asked them, we yeah. gave them, we said, look, if we, we make this permanent, would you like to change your name? He said, sure. Now, this is 2001, and it was at the height of the Sixers, and he actually wanted his name to be Allen. He wanted to be named after Allen Iverson. <laughs> and uh, no offense to Allen if you're out there listening, but we said no. <laughs> Well, we also had Allen. Yeah, and we had an Allen. Um, uh, we had an Allen in the family. David. David's middle, middle name, name is Allen. So what we? So he picked Sean. His picking the name Sean is also tied to the fact that, um, as much as we did know at that time, and even later now we do know more, his biological father, his name, uh, first name was Deshawn. Deshawn. Ah. Mm-hmm. spelt a little bit differently but um so yeah. i think that was also a yeah. uh, part of his decision to, yeah. to change his name to Sean. yeah and and you said that their entry into the world of your children was helped in part because they each had someone to uh to link up to who was 10 years older how how were your how were the older three reacting to these two little ones running around <laughs> Well, I, I will say that before we actually finalize things and move forward, we did approach them and say, okay, this is what we were thinking of, we're, we're going to be thinking do about doing and, you know, what's your reaction? And I remember in particular, Nicole was, uh, she was very excited. About oh, nice. I guess really kind of like, wow, so you guys are really going to do, do this. this. Yeah. Because <laughs> I also remember when, um, when we shared with them that we were going to get married, um, and Nicole, one of her first questions was, so am I going to get a baby sister? <laughs> so, uh, so, okay, well, this is not quite that, but it's close. Uh, you'll get a little sister. Um, so, yeah. So they were very open, I think, as yeah, far as I recall. So um, I'd love to hear on behalf of parents out there who are working full time and raising children. And, and many of them, uh, children that didn't have as many different um, challenges as some of yours did. I, I, we've heard that Denise is very organized, but but how did you make it all work? I mean, the one good thing with the new two little new ones is that they could go right to school. It wasn't like you needed full care, full time care there. But I'm sure there was there was a lot to do to help them adjust. So how did you guys manage? Um, Clay, as I recall, you were um, at that time. No, I was probably an investment banker at that yeah, time. I was working. I had, yeah. I had uh, been, uh, I'm a lawyer by training, but by that time I had moved over to investment banking and I was actually traveling a lot. Mm. A lot of it did come down to these. A couple of things about that, Carol, uh, and, and, and I'd say this to all parents, uh, if you have the opportunity through your employer to take the time off through FMLA or whatever those are, Denise did that. Her, her employer at the time, and you actually went beyond the time, I think, that well, they gave you, didn't you? Well, and you made some other arrangements in terms of her work schedule that would allow her, for example, with her her uh, superiors to maybe work, take every other Monday and work at home, for example. So, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. We had, you know, the kids were in dance. Uh, One was uh, Sean, who we found out because he was singing in the backseat of our minivan one day. 
He had literally perfect pitch. We got him into this boys choir. He has sung on every continent in the world except one. Wow. And the only one he hasn't sung on is Asia. He actually sang in Antarctica with his boys choir. So we were ripping and running, but a part of it was the schedule. A part of it was Denise had the foresight to really go to our employers and say, look, this is a major change in our family. Can you give me the time that we need to get ourselves organized? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our older children were very helpful as well. Uh, you know, they, they kept them occupied. We, you know, we weren't their sole source of entertainment. That's why I tell people to have multiple kids. Anybody who has one child, go out and have another one. It'll, it'll help yourself <laughs> so that you aren't the sole source of entertainment for your children. Uh, well, as a mother of three, <laughs> I definitely agree. <laughs> Denise, tell me from your perspective, how was that in terms of negotiating with work? Were they cooperative or did you have to nudge them? Well, I, I will go back a little bit on that. Um, I had just also changed my role at the at the company uh, right before the two younger ones came because I had been doing uh, financing of, of healthcare as well as uh, municipal government stuff, and um, so which was very transaction oriented. It was deal oriented, and I was I never knew what a day would bring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and moving to the foundation, um, I really was able to, even though it was a startup uh, foundation and I was building that, that foundation uh, for the foundation and I had more, um, how should you say, ability to schedule my day or my week or the quarter. I knew what was coming up. Uh, so I had a lot more control over that than I would have if I had stayed in the, in the financing side exclusively. Um, and so uh, I did also have a particular um, boss who uh, was a woman at the time, at, at that time. And uh, she was also, uh, she had children as well, but, um, and her husband was a teacher. And she was able to maneuver because she had moved up substantially in her career uh, to take off Mondays, every other Monday. And she would do that so she could spend time with her girlfriends and they would have a little book club or they go to the spa. <laughs> and so I approached her at one point and said, look, uh, you know, how about uh, I do this every other Monday? Um, but that was not the purpose of my every other Monday. That was just to go to BJ's on a Monday when there wasn't crazy <laughs> and also to have a little more time to organize stuff at home, to cook some extra meals. So that Sunday night was just not a uh, nightmare mm-hmm. uh, as it usually was because, oh, my God, I'm going back in. With the foundation work, too, I was able because I was the I was the pickup uh, person. Clay was the drop off for the younger ones for school in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I went into work really early, really early so that I knew that I had to leave by five o'clock somehow. Mm-hmm. So I get my <laughs> 10 hours in before then. Or somehow, because I had to pick them up from after school before six o'clock, or else they're you know, <laughs> to pay yeah. so to get them ready, you know, with for dinner, for baths, for homework, and all of that. So I sort of it's a combination. But the employee, you know, my employer was was open. She was very open to that because she she was doing it herself, mm-hmm. and uh, they got the work out of me anyway. You know, uh, mm-hmm. somehow on those other days. 
um, and uh, made me a happier employee. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I get more work done. Yeah, and Carol, I just can't stress enough. I, I know um, how hard it is out there, and, and we're growing up in a slightly different world. But the, the fact that there were two of us there yes. trying to raise a family, you know, I look at, I mean, I, I know situations, you know, even our youngest daughter, uh, who has a child? She's doing it pretty much on her own. She and her, she and the baby's father aren't together. It is hard. Mm-hmm. And so it, you know, if 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 mm-hmm. both parents can be in the life of the child, it, it is yeah. so important because uh, you just need help. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I can't imagine trying to do this with only one of us trying oh, to absolutely. do it, even with one child. It's very difficult. So. You know, if you're out there listening and there's any way you can be together, try to be together, parents, for your kids. If not. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a perfect segue to something else I want to talk to you guys about. And that is uh, not only do the children have two loving parents, they have three loving parents because you have an incredibly great model of a blended family. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that um, you and, and your first wife, Cheryl, with, yeah. with your first three children, um, had a have always put the, their interests at forefront. You've achieved something that many families have difficulty with when there's been a, a divorce and when there are children involved and when there's a second family and more children. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us how it, how it worked. We want to hear the secrets. Well, the, the only thing I can say is I'm very fortunate that the, that uh, Cheryl and Denise get along so well that they're, they've never put their own self-interest above that of the family and the, and the, and the children. And I can think of in particular uh, one of the first instances, in fact, when we had to face this and I'll never forget this. So it was David, our oldest son. So remember when uh, Denise and I got married, David was about, Six, 15 or 16. So he's about two years away from graduating from high school. So the first really big event in the life of our family was when he was graduating from high school. And, you know, you're, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, who's going to the graduation? Where's the dinner going to be held? And we're having conversations. Uh, and then finally, Denise says, why doesn't everybody just come over here to our house? Right. And so I, I remember surreally sitting at my dining room table. Denise is at the opposite end of the table. Cheryl is to her right. My former in-laws are at the table with whom I still have great relationships with. In fact, my mother-in-law's birthday is tomorrow. And uh, all the kids were sitting around the table. And I said, man, and my mom was there too. Yeah, my mom was alive. So my mom was there. So it was just great. You know, we, we, you know, whatever issues that Cheryl and I had as, 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 um, as, as spouses had no effect on the children. And, um, and that, and that was kind of like the beginning of what has been, you know, what, 20 years of, of, of ongoing or of relationship in that regard. So I give most credit to the, to the two uh, ladies involved and uh, they're very, they've always been putting the kids first and uh, you know, we exchange Christmas gifts. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl has basically adopted Bashawn and Malika. So, you know, when she gives Christmas gifts, she gives Christmas gifts as well. So it, it's just, it's just great. You know, it's wonderful. Oh, that's great. And shout out to Cheryl who was in school with us. So I can't stress enough how important that is, because I know you guys can happily take that for granted. It's always been that way, but you do find that that's an area where the grownups sometimes forget to, to be grownups about it. And it's it's easy in some instances to forget about the impact on the children. And I'm sure 
that all your children are really grateful <laughs> that that there is this this unity in the family. Uh, yeah, they are. But I don't, I don't want to underestimate, though, you know, the effects of a, of a breakup can be somewhat mm-hmm. dramatic. And we've had we've had some cathartic moments as a family talking with our children, uh, particularly Nicole, who's expressed, you know, you know, it was it was tough. It was tough. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy. So it wasn't all peaches and cream. But, you know, we managed to kind of grow through it. And uh, again, I just commend everybody for uh, for for all their good and hard work and making it happen mm-hmm. in a positive way. And and speaking of Nicole, you, when we've talked earlier, you told me a, a story that really resonated with me. It has to do with you, you everyone adjusting to the teenage years, mm-hmm. but also significantly that you kind of saw it again. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. We yes. saw it coming. We saw it coming. Yeah. So, and and I, I, I don't want to sound sexist, but I'm sure it is. But, you know, raising girls is different from raising boys. I just have to say that uh, it, it really is, particularly, particularly for African-American boys. So every one of my uh, boys, when they turn 18, uh, which is not guaranteed in this world, in this life, I, mm-hmm. I, I got up to them and raised them and gave them a big hug and said, hey, congratulations, you made it to 18. It was not promised. Um, girls have been uh, having gone through this now twice. Uh, and the second time you don't feel as bad because the first time you're not sure if it's you or them. Uh, Nicole, you know, a teenage girl is going through things, whether or not we were divorced, married, it probably wouldn't have mattered if, if she with her mom, it probably wouldn't the same thing. But uh, we, we weren't sure who she was at one point in time. They kind of come and they kind of go away. And but we saw it again when Malika was growing up and we said, oh, my. But this time we kind of recognized it, but it didn't make it any easier going through it. And uh, Malika and I we will t- we'll readily admit that during her high school years, there was a basically a detente. Uh, she and I were like Russia and the United States. We, we both had weapons of mutual destruction, which we didn't use. And unfortunately, uh, yeah. Switzerland here, Denise was in the middle. She suffered mostly because she was trying to be neutral. And uh, But raising, raising daughters is patience, I think, uh, particularly those teenage years. They're going to go through something that you're not going to recognize who they are, but they do come back. And when they come back, it it does show that they've kind of heard you. You know, mm-hmm. they've embodied some of the values you have. Again, as I look at both of our daughters and watch them as they raise their children, one of the most comforting things is the validation in how they raise their kids mm-hmm. that they're doing some of the things that you did. So mm-hmm. you know, we said, okay, it couldn't have been all bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so as I will say that as the mother of a girl and two boys, all of whom who've now gone through their teenage years, <laughs> I will I will acknowledge that raising girls is different than raising boys, but I will also say that Teenage boys can go away too. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, they all come back and they, and, and you know, you love them no less during the process, but just on behalf of, uh, uh, charity here, <laughs> it's not just the girls. Good. Yeah. So, so one final question for you before we wrap up. I'm, I'm, such a, it's such a heartwarming story. You guys really need to be commended for having just got, have having gone full speed ahead into um, circumstances that might would present a challenge for many people, and you've done it with a great spirit of love and of care, and 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 now that you've come out on the other side with these five great children, it, it you can see that it was all absolutely worth it. Well, but what what would you say 
to a version of your younger selves? I mean, you've, you've talked about it. It's been challenging. I mean, what now do you know <laughs> that you wish you had known that might have made a difference, however, when when you were you're more in the thick of it? Yeah. Well, one thing, we just talked about this a little bit the other day. Um, one thing that I look back on and I said, I probably would have liked to have been able to spend more time with each of the children separately. Mm-hmm. Um, we were so busy with managing, juggling, um, you know, ballet, dance, whatever, choir, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, work. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and at one point, my mom was uh, living uh, within two miles of us in a uh, assisted living uh, area. So I was also dealing uh, with with that as well. And um, I just didn't have the time or I didn't I didn't carve out the time to spend with each of them and have a, you know, mommy, daughter, mommy, a son date uh, just to kind of give them the focus. And I think the same for Clay as yeah, well. I, I, would, um, I, I would say that I wish that I had taken more time. So if he can do that, um, you know, and, and, and do one less hour at work, you know, take advantage of that if you can. Mm-hmm. That, that's great, great advice. So I'm going to wrap it up here, guys. But first, I want to say thank you. Thank you, Denise. And thank you, Clay, so much for, for joining us. It's been a really great conversation. And I'm sure that parents are listening have really appreciated hearing your experiences and are going to be able to take your advice. So there's one more thing before we go, and that is that you have to play the GCP bonus round. <laughs> yes, just two quick questions. And so the first is, give me a favorite poem. Oh, a uh, favorite poem. Well, there's one that I used to uh, say when I was uh, online, Invictus, Out of the Night That Covers Me, Black as a Pit from Pole to Pole, I Thank Whatever Gods May Be for My Unconquerable Soul. So that's one. But the other one, and I I think in the context of parenting, Mm -hmm. I would say to my grandchildren, it was the one that I remember, and Denise is going to be totally embarrassed by this. This is is my poem that I recited when I was five years old in kindergarten on the stage, when the young lady in front of me ran off the stage in tears and this is when I knew I could stand in front of a crowd. So it was this and this is one for parents they can say with their children. One, two, three, four, five I caught a fish alive six, seven, eight, nine, ten I let him go again. Why did you let him go? He bit my finger so. Which one did he bite? The little one upon the right. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd get a kick out of that. And the fact that you can recite it as impressively now, <laughs> I could just see you on stage. And that was it. Yes. That was yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, okay. give me two children's books. Well, the one that that I uh, that I like is uh, "Bringing the Rain to Capiti Plain." Uh, but any time that I'm asked to go into uh, a class and read to young uh, students. Uh, it's a book um, written. I forget who the author is, yeah. but it's it's, uh, it's the it's the African uh, tundra, and it talks about uh, this tribe and, and young man called Kapiti and uh, what he does to his tribe and family, and how he brings rain to the to the to the uh, very very dry area. So bringing the rain to Kapiti Plain. Oh, that's great! That's great. Mm-hmm. 
Do you want to add any, Denise? Uh, the places we will go. Oh, yes. Uh, you like that? Yes. Dr. Seuss. Dr. Yeah. Seuss. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my favorites. Those are great answers. And again, I thank you so much for being with us today. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review where you find your podcasts and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice, great advice like you heard today. Please send comments and questions on these platforms. We're on Instagram at Ground Control Parenting. We're on Facebook because we really want to hear from you. Clay and Denise, thank you again so much. And until the next time, take care and thanks for listening. 